everyone. Thank you for tuning into Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. My name is Annabella Nekle, a student from the Translational and Molecular Medicine Program at the University of Ottawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communication TMM 4950 course. Alzheimer's disease is a chronic neurodegenerative disease affecting over 6 million Americans. Unfortunately, there is no cure for this disease and treatment options are limited. But imagine if we could simply print new brain tissue to address this issue. Our guest today is pioneering patient-specific treatments in unraveling the disease mysteries through the printing of 3D brain organoids. While it may sound like the stuff out of a science fiction movie, we promise you it's very far from it. We hope you stick with us as we unravel this astounding journey and the researchers behind it. Our distinguished guest today is Dr. Stephanie Willerth, a full-time professor and Canada Research Chair in Biomedical Engineering at the University of Victoria. She's renowned for her exceptional contribution to the fields of biomaterials and tissue engineering. Dr. Willerth has achieved remarkable milestones, including being named a Woman of Innovation in 2017, a Young Innovator in Cellular and Molecular Bioengineering in 2015, and serving as the President of the Canadian Biomaterial Society in 2017 and 2018. Today, we'll delve into Dr. Willerth's groundbreaking article published in 2023 titled 3D Bioprinting Patient-Derived Induced Pluripotent Stem Cell Models of Alzheimer's Disease Using a Smart Bioink. Additionally, we'll explore other significant facets of her laboratory's research. Good afternoon, Dr. Willerth, and thank you so much for joining us today. To kick things off, would you be able to give us a brief description of what 3D bioprinting is and specifically the bioink you use for this type of model? For sure. So a lot of people are familiar with um, traditional 3D printing, and I know back uh, at my house in Victoria, we do actually have an ender where um, you have plastic filament that's heated up, and then it's extruded based on specifications in a computer file that you um, give to the 3D printer. And so 3D bioprinting is similar to that, but instead of using a plastic filament, you need to use specialized bioinks that cells can both grow in and uh, differentiate and function. And so what we use when we bioprint our neural tissues is a specific bioink that we spent years developing and, and definitely thanks to the team at the Willard Lab who conducted most of this research. And so we worked really hard to find a scaffold that you could both print and make a stable structure, but also keep the cells alive and functioning. Wow, your research truly seems like it's taken from the pages of a science fiction novel. Now onto the second question. What motivated you to choose 3D modeling for Alzheimer's disease specifically, as opposed to other disease models? Well, um, we actually do model other diseases, but one of the main reasons for Alzheimer's disease is our collaborator, Dr. Hakan Nygaard, runs uh, the Alzheimer's disease clinic at the University of British Columbia, and he also has a research lab group. And so one of the things that's really uh, interesting about our Alzheimer's project is for his patients who are suffering from Alzheimer's, you can do a blood draw and then reprogram those blood cells into stem cells that we can then bioprint into our neural tissues. And you do see some of these Alzheimer's phenotypes, and we hope to use them as a tool for drug screening. And so one of the, the really interesting things about that collaboration is if we were to find a drug that worked on these tissues that we've um, printed in our lab, then he could potentially prescribe them back to the patient who's, uh, who we made the tissues from. So I think that that is one of the really exciting uh, elements of that project and why we why it gets a lot of focus. We also do bioprint some models of Parkinson's disease um, and brain cancer. And for the brain cancer work, we have obtained patient-derived uh, samples for that. And we also do some spinal cord work as well. That's very interesting. So how would your Parkinson model differ kind of from the one that you're doing on Alzheimer's? 
Yeah, so with Alzheimer's, if you actually, you know, postmortem in patients with Alzheimer's, you see a lot of the, the plaques and the neurofibrillary tangles. And so those are kind of some of the physiological uh, hallmarks that you'll see in Alzheimer's disease. Whereas with Parkinson's, some of the phenotypes is you see the presence of structures called Lewy bodies. And so you see these different disease phenotypes, especially when you compare them to the healthy brain tissues that we have. And so partially that comes from using these stem cells that come from patients who've had these diseases. It's truly groundbreaking that you can directly use patients with a disease to model various conditions. Going back to your paper, how do you ensure that the cells remain viable when printing to model different types of diseases? Yeah, so we spent a lot of time um, on this bioink um, to make sure that they were supportive and protective of the cells. And we've added certain ingredients there, especially to keep the cells alive. Um, one of the things is stem cells are very delicate. And so prior to our work, um, and with a lot of the inks like alginate, if you print with them, you'll see a lot of cell death just because the cells undergo a lot of stress and pressures during bioprinting, and they don't like that. And so finding a way to make a supportive environment is, is definitely key to ensuring your cells uh, stay viable. Also, we do add the cells pretty much for printing. Um, I know when we print lots of constructs, the process may take an hour or two, but it's, it's always important to wait sort of till the last minute to add them. And so to be able to tell if there's cell death, what markers would you be able to, to see? Yeah, so we usually uh, use like a live dead staining kit where um, for the, the live cells, the metabolic activity causes them to stain green. And if they're dead, um, the presence of the broken cell membranes causes them to, to stain red. And um, we also have a different kit where we can dissociate the tissues and run them on flow cytometry and then see which ones are viable and aren't. Um, you can also just stain the, the tissue like you would um, a histological slide and see if the majority of your cells are alive or dead. Wow, what a fascinating approach. Now for future prospects, how would you see the field of 3D bioprinting evolving in the context of organ disease modeling in the coming years? Yeah, so I think uh, the organ stuff is really exciting. Uh, our group hasn't worked on that as much because um, usually for things like um, the brain and spinal cord, just the nature of the diseases don't really lend themselves to an organ printing approach. Um, there also gets into some ethical issues when, especially like when people talk about like if you want to print larger brain tissues. But um, I know in the United States, a group at Stanford was just recently awarded a large ARPA-H grant where they're going to bioprint uh, human hearts for transplantation into pigs. And so I think the the biggest things when you get bigger tissues are in, incorporating vasculature or blood vessels um, to ensure that all the nutrients get to the different parts of the organ and you don't get necrosis of cells dying. Uh, the other big challenge, because for our work, although again, our tissues are relatively small, they're like, when we print our miniature brains, they're like a centimeter in diameter and half a centimeter tall. Um, we still print with millions of cells per mil. And so you really need a significant quantity of cells in order to um, print physiologically relevant tissues. So scallops an issue. So we've been spending a lot of time looking at different bioreactor solutions. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you mentioned ethical issues, and that is a big problem in like the labs that we are in today. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit more. So what are some ethical issues that your lab currently faces right now? And how do you guys uh, kind of overcome them? Yeah, well, I, I mean, so when you work with stem cells, we obviously have ethics approval, and we're working with our patient-drive stem cells and things along those lines. Um, with neural tissue, and it gets kind of controversial, um, it's a good thing to talk about over at a party, um, but people, uh, as people have made like brain organoids, some groups have claimed they see brain waves, and so there's, there's questions about like how large should you make the organoids, um, how would you know if you've actually created human thought, um, and things along those lines. Um, another, another work we've done where we've been bioprinting um, 
for fertility issues. We work with Ryan Flanagan's group that um, is based out of the Prostate Center at the University of British Columbia, and they work on male infertility. And so for some of the, the work we've done with them, they're using CRISPR approaches to, to correct defective sperm. And obviously you don't want to use um, CRISPR corrected um, cells for, for reproductive things. And so it's always more of a proof of concept when you're working with things like that. Although our, our paper on bioprinting uh, testicular tubules, those we actually use patient-derived stem cells that weren't modified. And so if we were actually, we made immature sperm, but if we were able to take them to maturity, those sperm would actually be um, allowed to be used for uh, IVF. So, you know, those are just some of the things, especially, you know, being careful to protect patient identity um, when you're working with their cells. And then, yeah, some of the reproductive work gets into some interesting areas as well. That's that's very interesting. Okay, so just kind of going back to your paper, I'm really taking you all over right now. But essentially, my team and I were really interested when reading your paper about this one part. And we were just wondering, when harvesting cells from patients, how did you ensure that the induced pluripotent cells had the right genotype and the desired mutation? Nice. So yeah, um, there is a um, induced pluripotent stem cell core at UBC. And so they usually will do sequencing to ensure that, I mean, it, in this case, um, it was already patients who've been diagnosed. So that's how they knew what mutations they had. Um, and then the other thing that they do is uh, they also uh, do the pluripotency assays to ensure that you can get all the different germ layers. And so there are QC checks on that, that they can differentiate as, as intended. Uh, and also for for those uh, for other people who might be interested in working with this, the the Jackson Labs, which is a big, a large uh, nonprofit research organization based out of the U.S., they also have validated Alzheimer's uh, lines with the mutations, gene corrected controls, and um, if you are working with this, they also have corresponding animal models to go with their mutations as well. That's so awesome that you're able to collaborate with so many different labs. It really lets you leverage all these different skill sets. Okay, so on to the next question. What's considered a psychologically relevant membrane potential for the bioprinted cells? Yeah, so um, usually your action potentials at resting are like minus 70. We use voltage sensitive dyes, so you get an average, which is because our tissues are not just neurons. Um, so usually it's um, resting is like a bit higher just because you have the oligodendrocytes and astrocytes. And then you can change them uh, to induce action potentials by spiking in um, different types of neurotransmitters as well. Um, and I will point out that there was a recent paper in advanced healthcare materials from one of the groups out of Australia, where they actually did manage to do patch clamping to detect uh, the neuronal signaling, um, although they were mouse-derived tissues, but it was really, really nice work um, showing the functionality of brain tissues. So you guys can check that out. There was also um, an article on it in Wired Magazine, which uh, they asked me for, for quotes on it. And I thought it was really, really nice work. That's awesome. Yeah, you're really doing some amazing things. I'm just gonna wrap it all up by just asking if any interested listener would like to get involved in this amazing opportunity, would you be able to share some of your lab socials or even let us know how would someone get involved with your lab? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I guess what's now called X. Uh, I do have a startup company called Axolotl Biosciences, which is on Instagram, X, LinkedIn. Um, definitely find us there. And I do have a lab website. So I think if you Google Willard Lab, you can uh, see what we've been up to. Um, also, just in general, good resources are the 3D Heals organization run by Jenny Chen out of San Francisco. Um, and also the, the Stem Cell Network uh, is running, I believe, a workshop on bioengineering, including 3D printing this spring. So that's also something to check out. 
Awesome. We'll link it all in our description. So that's all the time that we have today. But thank you so much, Dr. Willard, for joining us and answering our questions. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and such a pleasure to learn a wonderful and an expanding area of science. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah, it was great chatting with you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. On behalf of our director, Dr. Emilio Alarcon, and the whole Beats Research Radio team, we thank you all for tuning in. The Beats Radio is supported by the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, Beats Laboratory, and the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology, and Immunology at the University of Ottawa. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube platforms to stay in the loop for all our latest uploads. Wishing everybody a good health and see you all next week. Thank you.